Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon and Evan and I don't know, my cat. <laughs> yeah, and Charlie. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's a not-so-serious podcast, meaning we don't really know what we're going to talk about. If you've read the title, you know more than we do. We're just going to get right into this. Not too much to say. Yeah, and um, by you know more than we do, we mean like, as far as knowledge goes entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't know anything. We don't know anything. Know. If you've read the title, then you know more than we do mm-hmm. about anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. How you been, man? How's things? How's life? Life has been, uh, full of interesting stuff, man. <laughs> life is always interesting. No kidding. Um, it's a crazy world we live in. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a crazy world we live in. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, I can fill in a little what's going on for me. If you're... Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, you've got, you're, you're well immersed into some stuff right now. So the film, which I sent you the script has, it's on its third draft now. Um, I don't really know if there's going to be much of a change here. Um, I imagine there'll be a little bit of feedback. They'll probably imagine the, the edits now will be pretty minor, but people have been coming back on the third draft, which is the only one I've shared really with other people. Um, and the feedback's been incredible. So, um, I felt really confident sending it out. My biggest concern was, will people get it and will it emotionally land with them? And so far it really has. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know, it's one of those, it's an, it's an interesting process because this script literally just poured out of me Mm. when I wrote it it's taken longer to edit it than it has to write it. And I didn't have necessarily a lot of editing to do. It's just that, um, I've been so meticulous about the two edits I've done. You know, I've yeah. been very like really making sure like there's certain things with like the dialogue and stuff, just making sure that, um, I don't know how to put it exactly, but just that things are being communicated and they're being done, um, without, I don't know, without any, the, the way they're meant to, the way it's meant to be said, like what, what's really being tried to be said. And yeah. I think it's been an interesting process. Cause what I found with the editing of this screenplay is that the whole beginning of the story for the most part was, was very like, there was almost no editing until yeah. I got probably till the third act of the story. And mm. that's where the bulk of the editing occurred. And then when I went back into the third edit, I found more stuff in the beginning that I guess I was blind to in the second edit. And I fixed that up and I was really, really happy with that. And then by the time I got to the third act, um, the work I guess I had done in the first and second had really just helped inform it. And so it all kind of, right. You know, and, uh, but it, I think regardless, the script's ready to go. I'm, I'm ready to shoot it, but I'm under this really interesting pressure right now because mm-hmm we have a location, which is this perfect loft. And, and when I wrote the script, I envisioned it being shot in this loft. Right. 
but the loft gets sold, um, on July 15th, or at least the person moves out of it on the 15th, who is basically my liaison for the place. And, um, right now for those listening, it's, it's June 19th. Yeah. So there's not a lot of time to get prepped and get ready. So we're shooting on the 7th of July. I was going to shoot on the 27th of June, but I got them to like, I got her to like move back 10 days. Teresa is helping me. She was on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I got her to move it back. And so I agreed I'd help her pack because <laughs> she's going to be moving. But I'm yeah. like, okay, so basically now I have like what, 18 days, less than three weeks to get this done. And there's so much to do. It's so crazy. Yeah. And, um, it's a whole feature film, you know, and it's only going to be shot like at her place for about three days. And then, mm-hmm. um, one day on the street and then one day in the bar. Um, so maybe a total of five days to shoot this whole feature film, which is yeah. pretty crazy. But, um, a lot, my, of, lot, a lot of fun though, man. A lot of fun. Yeah. My plan is, uh, to run two cameras through the whole shoot, one on each actor. Um, you know, and then, uh, I don't know. It'd be great if I could shoot with like three cameras, but I don't think that's going to be doable. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But I want to basically just kind of keep the cameras running and shoot every scene like straight, like yeah. theater. And then my plan is once this movie's all done, which I'm crossing my fingers that everything like goes okay so that we can pull this thing off. Cause worst case scenario, things get delayed. We don't get the location and I have to go to another location and life goes on. Yeah. Uh, I hope that doesn't happen. But once this is all done, I'm going to toss it off to the editor and hopefully, um, the person that I cast in it wants to take it into the next stage. And if she doesn't, that's fine. I'll cast someone else. But my plan is to actually maybe put this thing up on stage. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very cool. To reframe it, re-alter it a little bit and make yeah. it into a play and actually put it up live. And I think that could be really cool because yeah. it could build a local buzz for it. And who knows, like maybe it becomes a play like, because you know, like a lot of people will be like, yeah, these movies, they get written, but then they never get, but plays get redone and redone and redone yeah, over and over and over. And again. that'd be really cool if this movie, we do it, we release it independently, all of that. But it'd be cool if one day this was a play and it was done a little bit differently. Yeah. And to see other actors like from yeah. different generations do this play. Well, you know, I think to me, that'd be cool. It's so cool. I mean, I think it's very interesting how, you know, you, you wrote this, like you wrote this film, but you wrote it like a play, but with the, the idea of it being filmed in mind, because there's just, there's a strength that is often, not always, but often overlooked in film to what they do in, in plays, Mm -hmm. what they do in theater. Um, which is that there are many simply like logistical, physical, um, logistical issues with having stuff move around a lot. You know, like there's, there's a lot of issues with it, which is why plays, um, are so often lauded sometimes a little bit self-righteously by certain members of the community, but, (laughs) but there, there is something to it in that it's really, for the most part, it's relying on the strength of the storytelling, the strength of, of the acting and the writing, like the core aspects are what are being relied on to sell the show. I mean, certainly they've tried to do other things like, 
you know, like big Broadway stuff like musicals and when they tried to do Spider-Man stuff and that was a nightmare, right? Cause they tried to do something really kind of nutty mm. that you would normally done be done for film and is perhaps best left for film. <laughs> right. You know, and they tried to do it in stage. It's like the stage's strength is really intimate, like storytelling. So I think it's, um, that's one of the things I think is cool is that you could transition this from, from a film and actually then put it up live as well. Well, look at the, you know, look at the movie clerks, for example, by Kevin Smith. Yeah. You could put that up on theater. Why not? Totally. I mean, Mm. it's like most of the, you know, outside of the, outside of the convenience store, inside of the convenience store. I mean, that's your stage. Yeah. Right. So, you know, uh, I was actually explaining to someone, I was at a party this last weekend and I was telling someone about the movie and I was telling them, you know, this is what I'll do. Like, cause there's a street on the scene, one basically brief scene, another scene or two in the bar. And then the whole rest of the movie is in the loft. And I was like, so the whole stage will be set up like the loft and then I'll black, black box the street and black box the, the restaurant, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll dim the lights. We'll put up a bar stool for that, you know, type of thing. And we'll have them kind of like, you know, well, whatever. And, and I actually can envision this thing like a play, but to me, it's, it's exciting to be able to kind of cross the mediums. And, um, for me also having been a screenwriter for like sci-fi action films and thriller films for the last while, which are all relying on CGI and visual effects and action sequences. Um, it's nice to just rely on character and connection and like the story, you know, to just do the job and even a a sense of imagination. Right. That was, um, something that was, uh, terrific book, uh, Nick Offerman's paddle your own canoe. Right. It's really like, it's funny, but it's also like, it's a lot more like kind of poetic and, and soulful than people might think of like Nick Offerman who played Ron Swanson in, in, uh, parks and rec and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. But he talks about like, he's a guy who came from theater and has, and just loves the theater so, so much. And he, he gets into this story about how he's like, it's almost better in theater that you, that you don't try and do everything as it is like at, he's like, he's seen shows and been a part of shows where they've like literally like actually driven a real car onto the stage, you know? And everyone goes, Oh wow. You know, there's a car on the stage. He's like, but the thing is, is actually better if you don't bring a real car onto the stage. It's actually better if you make people imagine it a little bit more because he's like, that's part of the pull and the draw of, the theater is that the audience now becomes more engaged. The audience becomes involved in the story that's that's, that's happening because now they've got to fill in for themselves what's missing. Right. And it creates a new level of engagement, which was something I totally never thought of. But like you saying, you know, there's sometimes there's so much it's made of and also becomes a distraction on stage when you start bringing real cars on the stage or, you know, riding a horse in or something crazy like that. Right. Like yeah. it's just, and it's completely unnecessary, right? It's like you, when you black box something, it's fascinating how you can just like, you just fill it in. Well, you, you know, know what, you just, you know what excites me about black boxing is I can see it visually just using light. 
So for yeah. example, when they're at the bar, so basically let me just kind of give people who are listening to the podcast an idea how the, how it goes. They meet on the street, they connect, they decide to go to a bar. They spend like all evening at the bar and there's kind of a montage thing and them connecting a couple times, different conversations. And then they end up back at the, um, the loft. And then there's the night at the loft and then the next day at the loft. And then also there's one other place, which is the deck of the loft. So this is my idea. This is how I, this is how I'm planning on. I already have it in my mind in on stage when they're on the street. It's like, I, I don't know what I'll do is either a curtain drop or something that kind of blocks off the apartment. So you haven't even seen the apartment yet. So somehow yeah. the, the apartment is hidden from the audience when they walk into the theater, they don't right. even know it exists yet. And then what it's going to look like is basically just kind of a street. And there'll be like some sound, which will be like some cars passing by and maybe some chatter or whatnot, but you'll feel like you're on a street and you'll just be sitting in the theater feeling like you're on a street and you'll see the whole, you know, the whole thing. I might, maybe I'll do some kind of drop, like a window dressing yeah. drop because he walks by a window and then they talk on the street. The next thing is they're going to be at the bar. When they're at the bar, I want to just do one spotlight on them at this bar where they're, they're sitting across from each other. They're having drinks and whatever. I'll have some people run in, kind of put those tables down. And then when they walk out of the scene and they leave, they'll take them away and it'll just be lit on them and everything around will be black except that. Yeah. So it feels nighttime and it feels like they're having a conversation and it's intimate and you'll have the bar noises around them and the bar noise will dim as the night goes on and so on. And then when they're, and then boom, when they walk into the next scene, which is, you know, um, the, uh, the, the, the curtains will pull or whatever will be removed. Yeah. And all of a sudden you'll be like, boom, you're in the loft. And then when they're in the loft, what I, what I, I have this idea of, they walk to the front of the stage when they go out on the deck and when they're smoking, they lean on a railing, which is basically just built on the edge of the stage and yeah. they lean on the railing, looking over to the audience, having their conversation, which I thought would be super cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's and really awesome. Yeah. And so the whole, and I'm like, this would be so fun. I yeah. mean, you know, and so anyway, I already have it in my mind how to not only shoot the film as a film, but how to yeah, do it as a play. play. And yeah. what's fun to me is that to do both is so exciting. Mm-hmm. And the power of, like you were saying, black box, my point was the power of light and darkness yeah. can be so powerful in theater and it can be very film and theater have a lot of, uh, you know, a common relationship. If you just yeah. look at simple things. Totally. Yeah. You know, part of what's been interesting about this conversation so far and, and some common stuff that I've seen from where this started. I mean, in terms of talking about your editing process and going through like different, different versions of the script now and and different edits, um, to now this process of, of the filming and, and with the filming and the theater, um, uh, but it's this whole thing to me, it's, and it's one of those, those conundrums of the artistic process is what you show and what you don't show, mm. what you choose to, you know, say outright and what, and what you withhold, right? Like how much do you give and how much do you let the audience fill in for themselves? You know, it's like, it's this really interesting balancing act, right? Because if you give too much, then we go, what the fuck am I an idiot? Like I know what's going on or it becomes like, especially within script writing and and movies and storytelling, it becomes super expository. 
right? right? Where it's like, you're just being delivered information that's completely unnatural. It's not the way that people really are. Um, and if you don't give enough, everything just becomes too ambiguous and you're not like, you need somewhat of a direction somewhere to kind of look at least. Right. Mm. And it's very interesting because we're talking about that as far as the script, like where to say things, where to pull things back. And same thing when you get into the actual realm of, okay, we're going to put this on stage. Where do we put something real? Where do we pull back? Where do we let, you know, what's necessary. And sometimes it comes down to just, again, like logistical things, like the, the ability to, to actually have something on the stage with you might not make any sense at all, you Mm -hmm. know, depending on, on budget or time or, I don't know, any number of things. Right. And you go, well, is this even necessary? Right. Or, and, and if there is a part of it that's necessary, it's like, how can you get creative with it? How can you find a way of doing, of creating the effect of creating, um, the sense or the knowledge of a thing going on or a place that you're in without it really being that without you need to show it. Yeah. Well, so, you know, okay. So I want to say this cause, um, with the loft part of the play, I want to d- actually do a set deck design of the loft. I want the loft to, I want it to be like, when you go to the play, I want it to be an experience of being like, that's fucking great set deck. Like, yeah. I don't want it to be like just, Oh, you're at a curtain and you need to imagine what's behind you. Yeah. When, when you're in the loft, I want you to feel like you're looking at a loft, yeah, but when you're on the, in space, yeah. But when you're on the street and when you're in the bar, I don't care about those environments it's for the characters. They don't matter either, either, right? Yeah. You know, when they're walking on the street, what matters is that they're on a street. What matters is that they're outside in public. That's what matters. Yeah. The relationship they have to the street, the relationship, the story has to the street is irrelevant. Yeah. Um, the bar they go to is irrelevant. Even the bar in the way that they go to it is irrelevant. What they need to do is they need to have a reason to continue their conversation and they want to continue their conversation. They could have ended up at a coffee shop. They could have ended up eating ice cream. It wouldn't have really mattered, you know, in a lot of ways. Right. Um, but when they get to his particular loft, the fact that it's been seven years and he's grown up and he's changed and her response to it. And the fact that they live in this space for this time of this play, I want the audience to have an experience of that. And so like, my, my vision of it is to use the black box part of it in the beginning, but then to once, I think it's really, that's, it's kind of perfect because now the audience yeah. has embraced their imagination and then they don't have to anymore, but they already have activated it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like serendipitously perfect. Yeah. You know? And so now when you, like when you walk in and in, and in many ways, cause I haven't read it yet. You've yeah. sent me, sure. you sent me a version of it, but also like I, I, the thing I love about it and maybe this sounds to some people in the end, like, like, you know, artist masturbatory things, but <laughs> I find like, because you think it's like, Oh yeah, just, this is how we'll do it logistically. But then there's also this, cause to me, I go, that's absolutely beautiful because you, from what I understand, you're, you're seeing these people get re kind of reacquainted with each other, you know, like seeing each other, feeling each other out for the first little bit. And then because the bulk of it takes place in this one location, which is this, this loft, um, 
is that after you've seen this initial period and now when it's going to get into the meat of what is going on, now there's this very fleshed out lived in world of a very lived, like lived in people in a space, you know, that's tied to memories and all sorts of stuff, right? Like now it's becoming like you're really diving in. And so the world that you see becomes fuller and more complex, right? Yeah. The, the, um, the, uh, it's metaphor. It's a metaphor. (laughs) Well, a friend of mine, he's a writer as well. He, he was talking to me, we're talking a bit about location and how location becomes a character and whatnot. And, and, um, I realized in the process of this story, I was like, the loft is a character. It's the third character in the story. The loft has an entire life to it that is very relevant. And I mean, it'll be interesting when you read it. I'm I'm curious Mm -hmm. to see what your thoughts will be and how that all goes. But there's a part where she walks into it and his, it's been seven years and they were in love before. And she walks in and well, he's kind of pouring drinks or doing whatever. She's looking around his place. She's looking for clues, looking for things that have changed. You know, she's, she's beginning to relate to this place and try to figure out who he is and who he's become. Yeah. The place has a life to it, you know, and, 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 and so what's important is that while they're in this place, there's a certain relationship, particularly for her being built because she walks into it with a certain kind of like, nice to meet you. And now by the end of the story, like, kind of like it's a home in a way, Mm -hmm. you know? So it goes from this stranger to her, to being almost a, a, you know, and I don't think this gives away anything in the story, but her relationship, I think evolves to it being a home, Yeah, you know, being a best friend in a way. And, um, for him, it's this kind of like, I live in this place, but I don't think much of it. It's Mm. just my place. It's, 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 I have no real, I live here. It it shelters me. I sleep here. It's, you know, but her coming in makes him have a relationship with his own life. Mm -hmm. And so it, you know, it is very art artistry, like kind of like the lay person who maybe might not meant, might not notice this or might not understand what's going on, but I do think it has an impact, Mm -hmm. you know, like, um, even the place that I live in now, I mean, I, have never really realized my relationship to this place until more recently when I started to realize a certain, like I live some life in it. You know, I I went through some journeys in it. I went through, um, highs and lows and people passed through my life during that time, um, who were very important to me and are not in it anymore, you know? And, um, there's something about where I live that has a certain kind of, it keeps the past. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so there's something about him living in this place where it keeps the past of those last seven years, you know, not that he's lived in it the whole seven years, but that it's kept a little of her there. That's fucking cool to me. Mm -hmm. That to me is exciting. And the fact that, you know, I think we don't look at location all the time as being this very, like a character. Yeah. You know, and people talk about it in books. I've read it in countless books. They say you need to invest in relationship of the location, blah, blah, blah. But like, I feel like with this movie, I'm finally beginning to get it. Right. Partly because I had to stick the characters in it for so long. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, with the, the street and the, and the bar, there are temporary parts, but the, the loft, you know, which 80% of the movie takes place in a relationship is built, not just between them, but with the place. Yeah. 
So it's been, yeah, it's interesting. So as we do the play, you know, as the play is the next stage, it'll be stage. It'll be interesting how the stage is set for that. Yeah. 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 So anyway, that's been kind of what I've been, uh, venturing into and, um, it's fucking scary as hell. I, I don't know how else to put it. Um, uh, I've done bigger, more blockbuster movies as you know, but this is far scarier yeah. <laughs> in a weird way because, um, I was, I was actually at a party and, uh, I was talking with a, a really awesome dude and he was pointing out, he's like, there's nothing to hide behind. He's like, he's like, I'm so excited to see this movie because what you've told me about it, what's, what's captivating me is that it, it's vulnerable in the way you set it up. And I was like, you know, that's true. That's probably why it's so scary. There's nothing to hide behind. There's no action sequence, no chase scene, no big CGI moment. Yeah. It's just, you know, and it needs to, I mean, well, we'll do what it'll do, but it, it, it it needs to be able to hold on its own. Yeah. which I, I don't know. So it's been a, it's, that's been kind of my journey recently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's so awesome. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. It's honestly been the most rewarding experience I've had in film since I was uh, a teenager and I began film. Yeah. I feel like I've reconnected to my roots of storytelling because I'm not doing it for anybody, but for the very fact that I have a story I want to tell. And I, I, I know that sounds like, I don't know how that sounds for anybody. I I think sometimes people say that and it sounds like cliche or it sounds like it sounds really obvious. Yeah. But it's but not it's, like, I don't know how to explain it. I just don't know. No, it's surprising how, how unobvious we can make it mm-hmm. for ourselves. I think, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's, you know, I always like to get, get down to the core of it when with whatever the, whatever you do as an artist, like, what is it that you are, you're doing this for? Like, what are you even, like, what are you even doing it for? What's your, why are you doing it? You know, and, and, and every, so many artists, I think get so, so lost in, in playing the industry and in playing the industry game that it's like, now it's like you, and then, cause I know I went through this for myself, you know, you get lost in, in playing the industry game of it, which entails a lot of stuff. It's not just, um, you know, about necessarily money and, and that side of industry, uh, and exposure and, and marketing and, but it also is, it can come down into, um, industry affects our philosophy, our mentality, Mm. our perspective, And when we get so many artists and I know I did, my perspective got so industry focused that none of the work that I did had any meaning anymore. Mm. It was just like, Oh, okay, well I want to do this. So, and I want to be part of this industry, which is, you know, it's great. Having knowledge is great, but you can find yourself where you've, you've kind of sunk so deep into this, into this mess that now you are, you know, you're bending over backwards, you're stressing out your, your life has become so, um, anxiety ridden and, and a grind simply because you've turned what you do into really something you don't want to do anymore as a result of 
trying to attain some result within the industry. So now you're not telling the stories that you want to tell anymore. Now you're not writing the music that you even care about anymore, that what got you there in the first place. You know, we get so far away from, from the, that spark that drove us there to begin with. Mm. And, you know, when you, if you find yourself at that place where it's like, all is not lost, you know, when you find yourself there, in fact, you can, you, you can take that as extraordinary wisdom when you've gone that far and you go, Oh my God, what the hell am I even doing? Right. And you can learn to find a greater sense of balance and return to your roots. But now with a little, with less naivety to the whole thing. Mm. Right. But, um, it's so, it's so funny how it's just like, you know, we'll, we'll be like, Oh wow. I've like just, just hearing from you because I mean, I know that in every script that you've ever written, like you put a lot of yourself into it and, and, um, a lot of love, a lot of passion, you find something in everything that, you know, gets you going. But I know this one is something different for you. Mm. This one is like, no, this is something that's purely like, I'm not even thinking so much about what this looks like on an industry level. It's like, this is just a story that I wanted to tell pure and simple. Right. And that purity is something that we often like, we, we don't give it any value anymore. We don't think that there is a value to it or for it out there in the world. And it's like, I think that there's, there's more value for that, for that than ever. Hmm. Right. I think people are getting really kind of bored, especially in film. I think people are getting really bored with a lot of the shit that's like, that's constantly circulating, you know, the, the, um, like the major release, like the theaters and stuff like that. You know, it's like, I know I'm getting a little bit burned out on a lot of it. You know, most of the stuff that gets wide release these days, it's just like, it's mostly comic book films and action flicks and some comedies strewn out here and there, you know, but it seems to be kind of the same stuff. Yeah. Same stuff over and over and over again. And I still go and see some of it. Don't get me wrong. I still enjoy it. I really loved Wonder Woman. You know, there's a comic book thing there for you, but you know, I, there's, there's, uh, real stories. There's real human stories that are not taking place with people who can fly through the air that I think people are really missing. Well, you know, okay. There's a couple of things I want to say. Like long ago when we were with Nathaniel DeVoe, actually, Mm -hmm. who's our uh, acting teacher, Nathaniel, um, was, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with everything that he, he set forth in his acting model and didn't necessarily work for me particularly, but he was, he was a certain, very positive influence for me in a lot of ways around like what I love about him is just his kind of like, you fucking go for it, you know, just kind of like, let's work for this. Let's make this shit happen. And I, and I always respect that about him. And and I remember one day he walked in and he said, you know, I want you guys to be the greatest storytellers of our time. You know, you guys can be the greatest storytellers of your time. And that stuck with me ever since he said that I was like, that's what I, that is my calling. I want to be one of the greatest storytellers of our time. And I, I, as I've gone down my journey since then, I, 
I've kind of made my peace with that. It's not about, it's not about what anyone else thinks of me. It's not about the recognition. It's not about the acclaim or the money or anything. It's simply about like, can I, can I be able to connect a story in a way that is profound? And what I've been learning recently is that, and, 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 and actually Mamet is another person who, um, just his model and his concepts around theater have really sung to me a lot recently Mm -hmm. where his not the thing I respect about Mamet and everybody has their own things about people, whatever. But Mamet's model in my experience of him has been don't hide, don't create anything that distracts from the story. Like you need to, you need to be able to have people sit down and talk to each other and that needs to be enough. And I really like that idea because this is my idea. Now, this is where I kind of come to now if I can get two people to sit across from each other and make you on the edge of your seat from that, what I can do with a car chase and an action sequence and CGI will be absolutely breathtaking Yeah. if I add it to that. But if I use CGI car chases and action sequences without being able to captivate you while they're sitting across from each other, then all is lost. That's yeah. my, so that's, really what I've kind of come to. So now my, my model of, of, of kind of reclaiming my career is go back to the most simplest thing. Now this leads me to my last point. My second point, I should say, you, you said bringing you back to your roots. That's what I think this is. This is my roots. You know, this is coming down. It's not flashy. It's not a big tree. It's not above the ground. Nobody can see how great it is, but down below, down beneath the surface where only I can see it's fucking rich and it's deep and it's something there and there's something about that. And so what I think of industry and artistry, I'm beginning to see artistry as your roots and industry as the tree that grows out from them. And so industry is what everyone sees on top of the surface, on top of the soil, but artistry is what's beneath the soil. Mm -hmm. How deep do those roots go? How far do they spread? What, what dirt do they collect? And it's ugly and grimy and you know, it's, it's, it's deep and visceral, but then you bring that and you show this beautiful, wonderful tree that grows out of that. So if you try to just make the tree and skip the roots, the tree falls over. Yeah. But if you have grounded solid roots, the tree can be as big as you could ever dream and imagine. So my model right now is deepen my roots as a storyteller. Mm. And maybe no one recognizes what I'm doing. Maybe all the work I'm doing gets no acclaim right now, but I truly believe that if I keep doing this right now, that one day, whatever this tree is that will grow for the industry, it will be something magnificent. And I, and I'm not necessarily waiting for the tree to grow anymore right now. I'm just focusing on the roots, but there'll be a day where the roots are so strong that I'll know instinctually to go up and build the tree. And I I believe that I will tell stories that on an industry level will connect on a massive way. So long as I stick with this, but that's my model now. Whereas my, I think my model when I was younger was try to figure out how to build a tree and like, you know, get around maybe going roots. Right. Yeah. Which I think a lot of us try to do. I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe not everybody, but I think the most people are trying to build the tree and forgetting that the roots need to be done first. Yeah. And so anyway, you kind of brought that up and it really kind of, that's my model now, you know? Mm. And after writing this script, which is more, you know, like you said, it's like from emotional connection, it's more about my roots. It's deep in there. 
Yeah. You know? Well, I I think so often we talk about on this show is, you know, we are in this realm of where artistry meets industry and finding the balance. And one of the things that I find that we continually run into is that it's like when it comes to industry, if you're an artist, when it comes to industry, it's just awareness. Awareness is the most important thing that you can have, but not let it be a dictator. You know, I think we let industry dictate to us how we're going to be artists as opposed to us being artists first. And not that we dictate to the industry what it wants. Sometimes we can. Yeah. Right. When people really, but the thing is, is that like, you still have to be the, be the artist. You still have to come out with something that is full of, of honesty and truth from, from your perspective of things, right. Through your expression of things. And there's not really any guarantee as to what that's going to do out there. I mean, but the best thing you can have is just the awareness of what's going on in the industry. And just that can help inform you, but it should never tell you how you should tell your story or what kind of story you should tell. Because the thing is that if you're not writing a story that's true and genuine and and all these things, that's just as bad as if you are completely negligent to things in the industry. It's just as bad. You're never going to have that major success either. If you're just trying to, you know, sell a turd painted in painted in gold, <laughs> right? It's just like, this is a turd. Yeah. You know, and, and you sounded like Ron Burgundy. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this, this is, is a turd. This is a turd. <laughs> um, I mean, even that even happens in like the big studio systems. They try like, they try and polish a turd like to, to a fine point and they can sell it and sizzle it all they want. And you know, they might make some money on it, but it still smells like shit. (laughs) Even if they make their money back or even if they make a profit on something, you know, like everyone still goes, yeah, but it was a piece of shit. Yeah. (laughs) The only reason people went to see it was because, you know, it was a comic book movie. Right. And we just, we have to go and see it. That's, that seems to become how, how so much of like, these things are done now. It's just like, it's guaranteed to make money if it's even good or not. Right. Like it's hopefully it's good. And if it's not, well, whatever, they still made their money back. It's brutal, but yeah, it's, that's not the way that we want to be as artists. Like it's, it's not, it's not the fulfilling way and the long-term way of having a career that is fulfilling is by continually trying to sell polished turds. Right. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I think that there's, I mean, I look at the business model of film and I, and I respect the the way the studios do it. And these producers who have figured out how to continue, like if they've consistently made films that make money and they figured out kind of how to do that. And there's, I don't want to, I don't want to belittle by any means, um, people who are in what I call the entertainment industry of film. And you know, I, 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 I worked in it for the last couple of years. And what I can say is that I respect it in the sense that, you know, if it can help me put bread on the table and, um, and keep doing my art and make money, 
in a certain way, I I'm glad that it's there. I'm yeah. glad that there's a way that someone figured out where I can do this consistently and they'll pay me ahead of time before the things even been made because they know they're going to make so much money that what they're paying me is irrelevant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or, well, not irrelevant, but it's, it's safe. Right. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, if I was dealing with artists who were making a film and I, and unless they knew my work already, it would be unlikely they would pay me a decent amount because they don't even know if they're going to make money. And and so the commercialism entertainment side of it, like I want to just say that I totally appreciate that still, Yeah. but personally as an artist and for fulfillment and for the sake of my heart and, um, finding meaning and why I'm doing any of this, because I think that's important as an artist, it needs to be more on a, a term of actually like, you know, connecting a little more than entertainment and, and such. And so I don't want, I, cause I, I never liked like the art film filmmaker. Like I never, I never really like, there's a few yeah. that I met along the way where I was like, yeah, I really respect you. You're a cool person. Like you got some wisdoms but I don't like the artistic filmmakers, like the industry is all screwed in America, you know, and they just, all they ever had was to say bad things. It's like, yeah, but it's not like, you know, you gotta, it, you, you gotta find why all of this, there's a value in all of this stuff. It's just like, it's like masculinity, femininity. When people say, well, femininity is better than masculinity. Well, you're totally off your rocker. Femininity is just as valuable as masculinity. Yeah. There's no, like, there's no, they're not better or worse. They have, they both have great things about them and they have negative things about them. Yeah. But the ultimate person, in my opinion, has a really good balance of masculinity and femininity in their being. They're not just all masculine and no feminine or all feminine and no masculine. Yeah. They see the bonus and the, and the plus side of finding a balance between the two. Mm-hmm. Artistry and industry is the same way call it masculine, feminine, same thing. You need a balance of artistry and industry for me right now. It, when I I'm focusing on my artistry, cause for the last two years, I've been very focused on my industry. So, you know, it's, I'll come back to industry. I'm not making, I don't want to make industry wrong. And I think this is an important part because I feel like people could maybe when they listen to our podcast, miscue us as saying mm. like, Oh, it's artistry all the way. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And I know we've said this before, but I feel like for me right now, I am very much more in artistry than I am in industry, but I don't want to make it. I don't want to like claim that that's better for me right now, necessary, but overall, the only way I'm going to have a successful career is by finding a balance between both. Yeah and not just a successful career, a fulfilling career. Yeah. Cause I feel artistry gives you the fulfillment industry gives you the six material external success. Yeah. And success without fulfillment. I don't know if you've experienced it, but it sucks. And fulfillment without any success, you're kind of like, well, I feel really good about what I'm doing, but like, it's not working anywhere yeah. <laughs> like outside of what I'm doing. So I think we can all relate to that. So it's about us and you know, whatever, like, yeah, sometimes you need to work on your masculine qualities. Sometimes you need to work on your feminine qualities, same as artistry industry. So I just wanted to point that out. And it's, and it's towing that line because the thing is like, once you start to, you know, you, you move and you, and you gain more and more awareness of, of sort of both sides of this thing, which are not really a separate thing. They're sides of the same coin. 
right? They're all within the same kind of realm. They just have different, different ways about going about things, right? And to me, the mo- the people who in any artistic field have had uh, an industry that have had the most success are the ones who have learned how to toe the line, like, amazingly well. Like, they've found a way to like when they go kind of a little more industry, they go a little more industry, but they don't go too far. Right. They don't go, they don't stray too far away. And the same, same thing with like some of the, like the really great artists as well. They never usually stray too far from the industry. Right. Like they've, because they find this little sort of sweet spot, you know, like what are those diagrams that they, that, that there are, it's like, it's two circles and they join and in the middle, there's like Mm. that little spot where there's like, yeah, where like, there's like this little, that's the sweet spot, right? That you, I think that we always would, that we want to try and, and find all the times, you know, that's where, where you have an audience that is open and interested and wants to, you know, wants to be engaged. Um, on a, on a, on a large level, you know, you have, you have, um, a platform for a lot of people to hear you. And at the same time, you are still saying something that is of relevance, something that is maybe important to be saying, as opposed to if you go one direction too far, but there can, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because there's a value to kind of swing too far sometimes as well. Sure. You know, either in a lesson or sometimes, there's, there's a value in just creating something that is like so far on this side and something that is so far on, on the other side of the spectrum. There can be, there can be like, it's, I think of, um, I don't know, some of those like really just any of those like really outrageous types of films that comes out. That's like almost, uh, not satire, but it's almost like a little bit of like a wink at the audience as to, because they're, they're super campy. Like snakes on a plane or yeah, like snakes on a plane or, or yeah. Something like, so like a B movie or yeah. yeah. Something like that where, and to a degree you can even argue philosophically. It's like, well, that is artistry. Like they're still doing something very artful because they're paying homage to something or they are very intentionally creating something with this vibe and this feeling. And that's an artistic choice. But at the same time, it's just like, it's artistically doing something that is so like industry or was very industry. You know, you know it's, it's like, uh, like when I think of Sharknado or I think of like snakes on a plane, it's embracing the ridiculousness, you mm-hmm. know, of something. And I think that we have to be careful as artists not to take ourselves too seriously. Mm. You know, my first yeah. film, my first film that I ever made was called Freaky Movie. And it was kind of a satire about how ridiculous like things were, you know, and it was mm, like, it was successful. It won the festival. We had 300 people audience who howled through the whole thing because they got it. But there is some truth to that. It, you know, we had this part cause there was a security guards where we were at camp. And if you didn't like, they, they had all these rules. Like you, you, you couldn't walk around with like out a shirt. Like you had to be wearing a shirt when you were in the public area and stuff, like just all this stuff. And so I created this thing where people would be walking around on a shirt 
without a shirt, I mean, and a security guard would literally come out of frame out of nowhere and just tackle them and be like, security, <laughs> and you just get like, so you couldn't walk anywhere without a shirt. Yeah. It was this just funny month, like thing that would happen throughout the show, right? Where um, any rule, someone would just yell security, <laughs> something yeah. crazy would happen, you know what I mean? But everybody got it because like, you know, there's a ridiculousness about some of these rules. Like, why is that? Like, my thing was, and I didn't realize this at the time because I wasn't like that aware of the film, but, but part of my rebellion was like, why is this rule here? Like, like what are like, like, I don't want to just follow your rule and no one wants to just follow your rule just because you made it. Like we need to know why the rule is here. And so the, the film kind of knocked yeah. rules in certain ways by making everybody laugh at yeah. it. Yeah. And so it was freaky cause like just the freaky, I don't know, whatever. And anyway, um, you know, I learned very early that, um, you know, ridiculousness was something that there's a truth in that because some things are ridiculous. Like some things that we walk around in our life, you've got to stop yourself out now every now and then and just laugh because how ridiculous is it that we take this shit so seriously? Yeah. You know? And I think like, you know, to find the, find the humor in any, in anything and everything. And that's kind of a lot. That's the line that a lot of comedians walk, right? Right. It's just like, how can we find this funny? Something that we almost never like as a society find very funny. Where can we find a a way to laugh at this? Right. Yeah. And you know, so like, I think like with this particular movie, uh, love lost that I've created, it's, it's, it's very like emotional and depthy and whatnot, but that's one way to do artistry. That isn't the way to do artistry. It's, you know, it has a certain tone, a certain feel to it. It's going after a certain type of thing, but you could make a ridiculous spoof comedy and it could be very truthful. Yeah. And so I, I also think that as artists, we need to be very careful not to take ourselves too seriously and not to be too pretentious. You know, I said earlier, I, I didn't respect a lot of these art film filmmakers because they take themselves too seriously. It's not art anymore. Yeah. Now you're just an arrogant asshole. Yeah. You know, but if you create art because you had a voice, like I don't like it when particularly filmmakers, I have my own bone to pick with filmmakers. I don't like it when filmmakers walk around with their chin held high, like they're hot shit while they're just being like, I'm better than this like, fuck off. You're not better than this. Yeah. You know what? If you have a voice that's your own and that's unique and that's authentic, who you're not going to care if it's better. It's your voice. Like I don't walk around going like, I'm a better screenwriter than everybody. Like I'm an asshole. If I do that, I can go, this was true for me. And if people connect with that, you know, I find that the truth, no matter what, connects to most all people. Mm -hmm. And so like, I I think as artists, we need to stop. And that's an industry thing. Competitiveness is an industry thing. Yeah. You're only a a real artist in my opinion. And yeah, I said real artist. You compete with yourself alone. You don't compete with other people. You don't compete with the industry. Industry is competing with others. Artistry is competing with yourself. Yeah. And so when people call themselves an artist and then they compete with other people, I call bullshit on that. But when you are an artist and you're really like, you know what, this film is better than the last film I made. That's okay to me. Yeah. But if you say my film is better than all these other filmmakers made, you're an industry asshole. Cause yeah. that's what the industry does. Like industry is comparative. It's external. Artistry is internal. It's the roots. It's deep down. Yeah. You know? So 
I know I went on a rant, but I feel no, like that's... I love your rants, Brandon. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, <laughs> I've heard many of them. In I get passionate, man. I feel like I got shit to that's, say. That's the idea, right? Isn't that the whole idea? Yeah. You're passionate, you got things to say. You got things to say. You put them out there, right? You know, I put them and in you my don't... scripts, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, again, that's the idea. Yeah. You put it in your work, and you don't take it too seriously. Exactly. Right. I like that Alan Watts thing you pointed out to me. And then later I listened to some of his talks where he talks about, don't take yourself so seriously, but take yourself sincerely, like be sincere. Yeah. And I really like that model. That's really what I, yeah. I try to aspire to more so now than ever is not take myself so seriously, but be very sincere. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, that's a, there's a massive difference in that little shift. Yeah. 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 And there's, um, I, and I also think of, um, uh, I'll just Huxley. He has a great quote. That's something along those lines. And, and I won't be able to quote the whole thing correctly, but just type in lightly. Mm. I'll just Huxley. And he talks about basically it's like, like tread the ground and go through your life lightly, even though, and this is one part. It's like, even though you feel deeply walk lightly, mm. right? It's just, it's like, because like, he, he was just had this whole metaphor. It's like, you'll like, you'll, you'll sink down into the ground. If you don't walk lightly, you know, you'll get pulled, you'll get pulled underneath. Mm. Right. So it's like feel, but you know, and, and to me, that's kind of like, it's, it's sort of what you're talking about. It's like, don't take things too seriously. Yeah. You know, be sincere, do things sincerely, not seriously. You know, it's like, mm. it's, it allows for you to have passion, but it allows for you not to take things so personally all the time for you to not just, you know, just be t- like devastated or, or even to get too high on yourself either. You know, that's, that's equally as important. Right. Right. Like to, again, find that little sweet spot of humility yet, you know, being able to celebrate, Mm. you know, the successes and, and whether you win or whether you lose on it, it's not such a big deal. Right. Because sometimes you just, you, you, you win some, you lose some. That's, that's the game of it. I've Mm. talked about it before. Neil Young talked about how from early in his career, he understood that the albums that he was going to make throughout his career, that some of them were going to do really well. Some of them were going to be really successful and others were not he just went about making the music that he wanted to make. Mm. And he was, and he was completely right. He had albums that did so well that are, you know, in like top, top 10, top 100 lists all over the place. And others that are just like, no, like (laughs) you, like you won't even hear them, hear them mentioned. Right. Yeah. That's the way of it. Yeah. Well, this is, yeah, it's been great. So, okay. Tell me, what do you think of this beer? I'm enjoying it. It's, um, like it, it's hard to characterize this cause I'm going to take another sip. All right. Like I would say it's, it's a, it's a pretty hoppy one. Mm-hmm. Um, but it goes down pretty well. I'm going to say this is probably an IPA. Okay. Maybe like, it might be like a, like a white IPA or something like that. Cause it does kind of have a summery citrusy kind of thing happening with it. And it's pretty light. So 
I'm, I'm enjoying it, but it does taste pretty strong. It's pretty, it tastes strong. Yeah. It tastes a little bit strong. So, and, and it hasn't been going down like super, super fast, which is usually to me an indication of like, ah, this is probably clipping in at like six and a half, seven percent. <laughs> All right. Well, mine's been going down fast. I don't know why this particular beer I enjoy so much, but, um, I have really liked it. I usually, you know, it's funny because I'm very like on the fence about IPAs, Yeah. but this one, I particularly like it is an IPA. It's, um, I really particularly like the name of this one. It's called shiny things. <laughs> <laughs> it's an IPA. It's from steel and oak actually. Oh, yeah, I know. Right. That's from my old stomping grounds. Yeah, that's right. So, um, let me see if I can find some more. It's a 6% alcohol. Oh, okay. So not quite as high as you thought, but it's, it's considered a strong beer. Yeah. And, um, yes, it is a mouthful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so they, uh, yeah, basically, um, strong beer and they say it's, uh, what is it like? I don't know. I can't really read any of that shit. <laughs> um, so anyway, it's kind of got a cool little flashy can. It almost seems like something you'd have like at a, like the can looks like something you'd have at like a high end, like classy, like club or something. Yeah. You it's like, I mean? yeah, it's got quite the, uh, aesthetic to it. Yeah. They really went with like a kind of a, a very bold marketing on this particular yeah. film or, or this particular beer. So anyway, um, yeah, I've been enjoying it. It's, it's been a good one. Um, I wonder if that's going to be a new thing for them. Cause I know they, they never had, cause I used to live right close to them. So I, I used to pop in there. Right. Um, not all the time, but relatively, uh, frequently. Yeah. And an IPA was something that, uh, they didn't have in regular rotation. Mm-hmm. They had lots of other things on the go over there. Um, never an IPA of their, of their own. I'm, you know what, for, for, for the IPAs that are out there and all the craft brews that we've had. And, uh, and this, I think comes, comes from me being someone who didn't originally like IPAs so much before we began the podcast. I think they got a really good IPA. I think as far as IPAs go, they got someone that's a real contender for, you know, top spot out mm. there. I mean, it's, it's solid. It's, um, you know, the, I, I do like, I do think, you know, it's, you and I have been having a lot of beers, so we've been getting a, a better taste for it. So we can kind of sense when things have a little more alcohol or not, but in spite of the higher than normal alcohol, I find that I don't notice it so much as far as like the taste goes, like it goes mm-hmm. down pretty quick. Um, at the same time, I think it's funny how like a percentage or two can really like change the, uh, impact the beer has on you. you yeah. Know? Like I definitely feel this beer a lot more than say like, you know, something that's like at a four or five or five and even a five and a half, like, yeah, you know, so anyway, um, that's been good beer. Enjoying it. Yeah. No, I, I, I've really been enjoying it too. It's hitting the spot. Yeah. Most every, most beers we have, we, we tend to seem to hit pretty good. This is kind of a perfect day for it too. It's like, it's warm, but it's like a little bit overcast yeah. and stuff because I don't know if, you know, it would probably still be a decent like beer on like a hot day, but, uh, that's a funny thing you bring up though. That's so true. I mean, the day really does 
affect the experience of the beer. Like yeah. I feel like we've rated beers and we never talked about this, but I feel like we've rated beers and we're like, Oh, this beer is so good. But the day we had it was perfect Yeah, because I remember the one day we had, um, that coconut, uh, dark beer. Oh, that coconut Porter. Yeah. Coconut, coconut Porter, Porter from uh, yellow dog. Yeah. yeah. And we all were like, this is incredible. One of the best beers, but the day we had it, made it so good because I had it again and don't get me wrong. It was great, but it was also like a totally different day, like much sunnier, hotter, hotter, whatever. Yeah. So the beer was not quite the beer I wanted. Right. Having like a rich, like toasted coconut, like chocolatey coffee kind of like flavor on a hot day is not like necessarily ideal ideal. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that also like, uh, as we talk about these beers and they're just kind of a tradition for us that the audience always remembers that, you know, there's an experience that's going on today that might make this beer, um, you know, different. So like people could go off and experience, like, I I'd imagine there's probably a person or two who goes off, tries the beer that we've talked about and they're like, Oh yeah, you know, I agree or I don't agree or whatever. Like, Um, when I've talked to people about beer recently, they've been like, Hey, you have a pretty good, you know, caliber on like, or, 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 uh, not caliber. What's the word? Um, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? I kind of, yeah. You get what I mean? But like on beer, right. But we've had a lot of them now. I mean, we've had, you know, over 130 beers and over seasons. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I've developed a certain taste, but the thing that I've been noticing more now is that how much the day and the particular experience that I want and the relationship the beer has to that. Yeah. It's funny. You know, it's just funny how like things are not the same all the time, even though they're the yeah. same. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of that, you know, I think that's the thing about the, the, the artistry too. Like, you know, the art I created when I was younger versus the art I create now at this time in my life and probably the art I create in the future will change because as my, as I change, as I mature, as I, you know, as the seasons change, it all has a different effect Mm -hmm. on this type of stuff I want to do, you know? And I think of like, you know, when I think of beer, I think of like light beer is almost like in, in relation to like film or something. I'm like, it's like, it's like light and, and comedy and fun and free. And then dark beer to me, is like, you know, and when I'm relating this to artistry, it's like depthy and emotional and like, you know, gritty, you know, a little more or, or maybe IP is a little more gritty. Right. And so there's this kind of, you know, it's funny because I'm seeing, as we've done these conversations, I'm seeing the art in everything. Yeah. And I'm seeing the industry in everything. I'm seeing, like, I look, I walk around the streets and I see like, you know, the marketing and things, but at the same time I see the creative design someone did with something. And I, and I see kind of everywhere I look, I'm seeing both. Yeah. And the more I look for it, the more I see that the marriage of two, when they come together really well, is just a really beautiful thing. And, you know, there's with all good marketing and all good presentation, there's some art in it. And with all great art, there's a little bit of presentation in it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if they were missing the other, they wouldn't quite be what they are. You know, they couldn't, wouldn't quite have the impact, you know? And so 
I think sometimes we're more focused on the art and we don't realize the impact it's having. And sometimes we're so focused on the impact. We don't realize the art that was actually in the impact, mm. you know, cause I feel like they kind of come with each other and sometimes they come with each other in a way that we aren't consciously aware they're coming, you know? Right. And I think the best thing we can probably do is just try to be really truthful and honest and authentic. I think that's the fallback. You know, if I think if you're authentic, you tend to have an interestingly like visceral, real presentation and yet kind of a really um, deeper connected art, Mm -hmm. but you don't know you're doing it. Yeah. You know, and that's the, that's why I think the default of authenticity is just such a great default because I think we, we've, we've had all our conversations. We talked about industry, we've talked about artistry and I don't know if at the end of the day you could listen to all these talks and go, I know what I will intellectually do to be the greatest artistic industrialistic person, you know what I mean? But like, if you rely on your authenticity you'll probably find that you'll listen to these conversations and a lot of it will resonate with you because I think that industry and artistry are born more out of the subconscious than the conscious, you know, although it's great to have a conscious awareness, it's great to have a certain kind of education about it. At the end of the day, I still think like a lot of the answers come unexpectedly, unknowingly and, and are somewhat surprising, you know, Um, and then there's from there, like if you have authenticity, I think it's a lot easier to say like with editing enhance. So Mm -hmm. like when I think of like screenwriting, like enhancing, I'm looking at, you know, ways to enhance the industry of it and enhance the artistry of it. But at the time I was doing it, um, there was not necessarily an awareness of what I was doing. Right. Like I've had a lot of feedback and I, I don't want to like, like, you know, I, I think this film stands on its own. I really do, but I've had a lot of feedback and I've had people say, I'm amazed at how you structured it. <laughs> like I didn't structure it. Yeah, I didn't. I, I, I knew the ending pretty much. And I knew the beginning and I kind of knew the inciting incident. And I kind of knew the climax, but I had no fucking idea what was going to happen. Yeah. I knew one twist, which was that she was going to reveal at some point she was a fiance and that he had a bit of an addiction issue. Right. Other than that, I didn't know what would happen. I didn't know what they'd say. So the fact that people are coming back and saying it's structured so well to me is kind of like, that's amazing. Like, cause it's the film that I've structured the least out of all the, like the last yeah. like seven screenplays I've written, I've literally structured it the but least. But I feel like yet. that's, yeah. that's, you know, comes from you know, the, the work that you've done on that side of things, sure. you know, where it's just like, you don't necessarily have to think about it so hard anymore because you kind of have an idea of, you have the awareness, sure. Right. You have, you, you have the structure there to help inform you of where you're going, but it doesn't dictate to you how things are going to go. You have the story first, you have the thing first, and then the structure kind of comes in and cleans it up a little bit. Right. right. The mess in the math is what, how it was all described to me as one time. I really like that. The um, mess in the math. Where did you get that from? Uh, that was from a, a, an acting teacher here in Vancouver named uh, Andrew McElroy. Ah, uh, yeah. The he, mess in the math. It's, yeah. It, you know, yeah, that's a great way to put it. And he had, uh, say that before. yeah, he told, he said that, um, 
he, he was the first acting class sort of that I ever took when I got out of high school was, was with him. And I was like 18 years old. And, uh, and that was, yeah, that was one of the things he had said quite a bit, but he had said that to me personally. And he's like, he's like, you've got the mess. He's <laughs> like, you've got the mess. Now you need the math. And then I think I went too far on the math side of things. I went, I'm like, okay. Yeah. And I went and it was just like, oh yeah, you got to do it like, and that's how you do it. And then forgot all about that, all of that wonderful shit that like I had just was already knew how to do, mm. you know, cause I took it for granted and I didn't see the value in it so much anymore. And it was just like, Oh, I've, I've got to do this. This is what's really valuable. And the next thing you know, it's just like, you're dead inside. And, <laughs> and you go like, what's happened? You know, I'm working so hard. I know yeah. I care about this. And, and you're like, well, it's cause you've totally lost yourself. Like there's no, there's nothing personal about this anymore. There's just like, it's just become an equation to be solved now. And it's just like, ugh. Right. How brutal, right? That's what story structure can become. It can become math. It can become an equation and it loses the mess. Yeah. And, um, and a little mess is fantastic. Yeah. And then too much mess and not enough math can, can also lead problems. I love that analogy. I mean, when I, I, I've talked about this before in other podcasts, but one of my favorite philosophy teachers would talk about how analogies are the answer to the universe. Mm. And it's so true because you take a mess and a math and you, you, you know, cause the word artistry and the word industry, most people like, I, I would think, go like, I don't know what those mean. Like we don't use those, but mess and math are simple enough where you go. Yeah. Like I think we, they're simple enough where you can take the analogy of artistry and industry and industry is the math and artistry is the mess. And yeah, it really is like that, you know, and you, you put this mess into an equation and you know, and somehow, or the, the equation gets a little messy and somehow it works out to be this really cool thing. And I think the problem is if it's all math, it becomes the same. And if it's all a mess, who knows what the hell it is. Yeah. Yeah. But the combination of both of them at a certain time, at a certain place, you know, come together and they create something that's like a genuine piece of art. Mm. Right. But I think both, both of them are needed, the mess and the math in order for something to be considered art. I don't think you can just have one that is like, you can't just go solely one and or solely with the other and have it come out that way. Right. You know, like it's just, otherwise just like, I don't know what this is. Right. You know, it's a piece of shit either way. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it's good too. And I want to say this to all the, especially the screenwriters, maybe actors and musicians and stuff too, but I'll speak for the screenwriters is write a piece of shit. Like really just Paint a piece of shit. Yeah. Paint a piece of shit. Record a piece of shit. Yeah. I, I, I I don't know. Like that's some of the best advice I can give you because it's so freeing. Yeah. Because once you're okay with creating a piece of shit, you can do anything. But like, I think so much of what's, what had limited me in a lot of my time was being too scared to make something that would be shitty. And like now I think I've, I mean, I think I've written some stuff that are, that is actually like literally like shitty, but I, I look at it now and I'm like, that's so freeing because once you know, like once you've let go, it, it, it's weird because 
now I find it's hard for me in a way it's hard for me to write a piece of shit. I like, remember we, remember you and I, one day we sat down and we said, let's create a movie and we titled it the worst movie ever. Yeah. And then we tried to come up with, I think all there is a movie actually called the worst movie ever. There might be, but we basically went out to create the worst movie ever. And we created all these things that would just be so terrible. Well, I pitched that to a couple of producers and they actually asked me if you and I would write the script to make it. Yeah. And I said, I will talk to Evan and we never have, but I actually, I still remember the story. I can, Me too. Yeah. And, and I feel like we almost should because it's, it, it, it makes, it takes the ridiculousness and it's like weird. It's so weird by like trying to fail, you succeed. It's like boggles yeah. my mind. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Try to make something <laughs> shitty, like actually intentionally try to make something shitty and you actually kind of come up with something really original, but you try and create something great and you'll probably like something something either (laughs) shitty or just horribly mediocre. Yeah. Right. Like, because it's a weird thing that makes that, how that works because yeah, it's like, it's when, when you try to fail in a sense, you're in a mentality of just like, well, whatever it can be anything, which is almost the mentality that you need to have when you're not trying to create a piece of shit, when you're actually trying to, to say something. Right. But there's a, there's that freedom of being like, Oh, well I'm making this piece of shit so I can do whatever I want. Next thing you know, there's a whole world that's open to you Mm -hmm. of possibilities of things, of places it could go as opposed to when you're trying to make something good. And now you've got all of these ideas of what you think something good is. Mm right? And it's all just based on a bunch of shit you've seen or heard and is going on or trends and this and that. And and now it's like, it's being, and now I think, I think this is what it is, is why like when you try if you try to make something terrible and you end up making something good, and when you try to make something good and it comes out terrible, it's because when you try and make something good, you're working from all of these like external places and all of these, like you're taking all of this contrived information to, to do something. When you try and make something bad, your imagination comes in completely because you're like, Oh, I'm not thinking about what's out there and what's been done. And what's just like, I'm just trying to think of whatever comes to mind. Right. Yeah. And then next thing you know, you're like, imagination is engaged and you're writing a story about, I won't give the premise away yeah, of our story, yeah. but it's, it's really politically incorrect. And, uh, <laughs> we, I and mean, we literally tried to do everything wrong, like everything that wouldn't work. And in a weird way, like it, after we kind of came up with like the synopsis or the log line of what this story was about, it's kind of like, I want to see how this happens. (laughs) I want to see how this goes down now. Shit. Are we not writing a piece of shit anymore? Yeah. It's weird because like, you know, you almost can't do it. Like if you really try to write a piece of shit and I think of like, you know, I think of things like Sharknado or, or, um, snakes on a plane. And I, it's kind of like what made those like, well, I didn't see Sharknado, but I, I talked to the guys who made Sharknado and, you know, and how surprised they were at the success of it. But, um, snakes on a plane. I remember I saw that and I was like, this is so ridiculous that in a weird way, it's really good. Yeah. And, and the thing that 
I really liked about it when I really like just walked away from it is like it, you know what? It's not going to hold up necessarily as being this like film. That's like a masterpiece. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But what I walked away from it goes again. That was like so much fun. Yeah. You know, and, and it was so original. Yeah. You know, it was, and there's something about, I think we forget this sometimes cause we're so caught up in making money and making great work that we forget about like, why did we even get into film or music or art in the first place? It was fun. We enjoyed it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when you, when you start trying to make a piece of shit, it's really fun. <laughs> That's why it's great. Yeah. You know, cause it's so fun to make a piece of shit. It's, it's so like not fun to try and make something good. Yeah you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's really amazing what happens, I think, creatively when you're enjoying yourself as opposed to when you're struggling. Mm -hmm. Um, and oftentimes the struggle is like a self-imposed thing, right? That's because we're trying to make something good, right? You know, and it's not that you don't, again, I, I think we recently talked about this not too long ago. Maybe it was just even in our last podcast, but it's like, don't even, the, the whole idea of it's like, Oh, but I want it to be good. It's kind of a stupid thing to worry about because of course you want it to be good. Right. Like, it's just like, of course you do. You don't really want it to be shitty. That never really factors into it. So worrying about that is just like an, a level of worry that is completely unnecessary to add into your process and, and completely inhibiting, I think, because I mean, and there's, I saw this interesting video recently and some people may have had like their own personal experience with this. I don't know if you've ever like, it's this weird sort of like energy test that you do to people where they hold out their arm or whatever. And a person pushes down on their arm and asks them a question. Hmm. Right. And so you start off with I've like, done this before. yeah. And it's like, so you start off with some basically like true or false questions. Like, you know, tell me your name and the person will tell their name. And as a person is trying to push down on their arm, like they're pretty strong, like they can't push. And then they ask the person, tell me a different name. That's not your own. Right. But tell me as if it is your name. Mm. And then they try and do it. And then their arm gets pushed right down. Right. You know, it's, and I've seen, I saw a video recently, somebody taking it further into like, you, you take it into not something necessarily like true or false, but, um, into a realm of, um, emotional sort of energy as it were. So basically like in this one, they had this guy do this thing and this guy was doing this arm test is I want you to think of somebody who like, it was like somebody who like betrayed you Mm. or something, somebody who hurts you, whatever. And I want you to think about like, really like, like getting back at them, like vengeance, like really think about it, like really picture it in your mind and about doing that. And then as he was doing the test, it's like when the person was thinking about getting revenge on this person or whatever, their arm was weak. But when they thought about actually like, you know, really loving this person and forgiving this person, they were really strong Mm. despite the fact that they had felt, you know, hurt or betrayed by this person. So it was this whole thing of energy that, and what that does to us. And so to me, it's like, if you're in a space of you're having fun and you're enjoying yourself and creating, you're probably in an energy place. That's like, that's just going to facilitate better 
like a better creative, uh, flow Hmm. as opposed to when you're struggling and sitting there because you're trying to make it into something you're trying to control and manipulate too much. I think that's usually like the biggest control is so often. I think the, one of the biggest issues that I, as an artist face, Hmm. because it's an ego thing. Yeah. I want to control it. I want it to be something, you know, as opposed to letting it be something I'm trying to make it be something. I, I, I can relate to that. I think, yeah, letting go of control is, uh, is a scary, it's a scary idea, but it's so important. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's tough because I think that in our culture, we're constantly taught to be in control and constantly taught that you need to be and, and that you're not okay if you aren't. And, um, or at least someone needs to be in control. Even if it's not you, someone who's watching over you needs to be in control. And I think as you start to become more aware, you start to realize that you're not in control and nobody else is. And, um, it's a scary concept to embrace, I think for most people, because, you know, like, I think when we're little kids, there's an assumption that our parents are in control that they know. And then you grow older and you start to find out that they didn't know and they're not in control. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the more aware you become, you start to realize like, Hey, like presidents and, and, you know, business owners and bosses and teachers didn't know and weren't actually in control. And, and so then when you start seeing it everywhere, you start realizing like, Holy shit, we're like, we're like spiraling out of control. Yeah. And like everybody thinks everyone else is in control. And then you start realizing that when you accept the chaos of being out of control and not knowing ironically, and this is a philosophical idea. Yeah. You actually get control. Yeah. (laughs) It's like you actually, like once you start knowing you don't know, you actually know something. And once you start realizing you're out of control, you actually regain control because it's like the only way we can actually have control is by knowing we're out of control. You have control of knowing you're out of control and you have you have knowledge if you know what you don't know, but you don't actually know anything and you'll never truly be in control. And like, this is like a, this is crazy corner because for people to fully embrace that idea and detach from what we've been taught our whole lives is a hard thing to do. Yeah. But I think if you goes against our instincts and what we've been brought up in. Totally. Yeah. I think if you start pursuing bigger things though, it starts to become very evident you know, you start to meet more people, you start to see how nobody really knows because I mean, you know, here's the basic equation. If people knew, then why wouldn't they do it over and over again and always get the same results? And why wouldn't they get all their dreams come true? Because you'd be in control and you knew, but nobody knows. And we have all these, like, and it's so funny that we still think that anyone knows and we still think that anyone's in control because we have, we have a book that can solve every single problem that anyone has ever had in the world pretty much at this point. And I heard a speaker at a Ted talk speaker who's pointing out, he's like, yeah, every book solves every single problem. But he's like, the only books you need to read are the books that solve your problems. You don't need to read Mm. every book. And so the thing is, is that what we need to, we, we need to stop doing is, is stop trying to think that we're like anybody else 
and that we are like in any other time or any other thing. We need to just really own ourselves. And like you pick up a book or a novel or listen to a piece of music for you. And that's art. Art, Like people don't realize this either. Here's another thing I want to point out crazy corner. Not the music you create. The music you listen to is as much artistry as the music you create. The reason why you chose that music, there's an artistry in that, Mm -hmm. but we don't see that. We don't realize that even if you're listening to the top 40 music that for you right now, that's, that's what you needed. That's you that even if everyone else is listening to it, don't think you are like everyone else. But right now I've been actually testing this theory because I've been finding music I've never heard before in my life. And once I started doing it, it started leading me to other music I'd never heard. And then that also led me to talk to my friends about it who have shared music with me. They never even shared with me before. Mm -hmm. And I'm listening to stuff and I'm like, this is so fascinating, this journey I'm going on with music because it's breaking the norm of music I normally listen to. Yeah. And I'm realizing I'm finding something about myself in my music listening. And so I think even the movies we watch or the paintings we look at or the, or the things we do, there's an artistry to that. And it's, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't even know. It's, it's, it's kind of like I've been what the more I see the artistry and stuff and the individualness of it all, the more I find very mundane, basic things, absolutely fulfilling and magnificent. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, I, 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 I would wish it upon anybody. I would say like, <laughs> God, like I'm walking around so grateful and in a way that I've never experienced gratitude before, like being a child, seeing everything for the first time, all of a sudden all my life, I've taken so much shit for granted. And then I'm walking along the street today and I'm seeing trees I've never seen before. Hmm. I, I, I don't know what twisted in me, what turned, how this perception exactly happened, but it's like been a wonderful, I feel like I'm just on the tip of the iceberg because I feel like I've been walking around the same streets for literally years, looking at the same things and never seeing them. And now finally I'm seeing stuff. It's like I'm yeah. dying and I'm like taking in every last bit of life I can before I pass away. Yeah. That's what it feels like a little bit, but without the dying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it, I don't know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, and there's a certain aliveness that's come out of it. Um, and, and I, I think that maybe if I can leave anybody with anything on that note is that maybe see yourself in your choices more. Like, don't think that you're like the job you're doing. Maybe everybody's doing that job, but don't, 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 don't think of it like that. Think of it like you're doing that job for whatever reason you chose to do it. And there's specific reasons you have. And just because everyone maybe says things that they do it for the same reasons you do, don't assume that that actually is exactly the same way you do it. The, The best way I can explain this, and I was trying to explain something like this to a friend the other day. I said, when you tell me about your mom, I think of my mom and I don't know your mom. I've never met your mom and I don't know what your mom was like, but I try to relate your mom through my mom. And this is a great thing for people to understand is that we talk about the exact same thing, but we don't mean the exact same thing. You did that uh, podcast like way, way ago. Like I think it was yeah. around 20 or 30 or 40, right around there where you talked, you did that example about the bench, like walking along or the girl, the woman, oh, yeah, yeah. which is a great acting exercise, but it shows you that everything is individual. 
Yeah. And even though they're the same, it's, it, there's a uniqueness, a personalization to it. Yeah. So that's kind of the artistry thing I'm kind of venturing into. I, I think right now for me, I'm just finding fulfillment in my artistry. And I think that I'll come back out of this stage at some point and I'll be more into the industry pursuit again, just because, you know, I think that's naturally how it goes. But right now I'm very much invested in finding me in this whole process. And that's very exciting to me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I think with all these conversations, I think it's, again, you and I can talk about it for hours, but I would encourage and implore our audience to go out and do it. Just go and do it for yourself. Like, don't take our word for it. Go and do it. Like if we say, like, if we mention something, like try it out, you'll find out. I think if you really do it, you're going to find out that like what we're talking about will resonate and then it'll resonate and maybe you'll come back and you'll try something else that we talked about and then that will resonate and then you'll gain a certain amount of trust because every time we do one of these conversations, I come into it like, I don't know what the hell we're going to talk about, but then I share a little of my personal experience and I, I think that it's just personal experience, but I think personal experience, although not the same, has an underlying truth to it that like many more people can relate to. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Like when you say mother, I know what you mean by mother, but your truth of mother and my truth of mother are yet the same, even though we had different mothers and didn't experience the same things, but there's an underlying truth. There's an underlying thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, I mean, my fiance always says people should stop sharing. Well, not always some more, maybe more recent, but she's like very big on it now these days and promoting it. But she's, um, she's like, people should stop sharing their opinions and start sharing their experiences. Mm. Um, because that's how we can actually connect is through experience as opposed to, well, this is what I think. Right. It's like, yeah, well, what I, th- what you think is stupid. Yeah. I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to like, what, I'm going to argue with your experience. Yeah. Something that's like, I can't argue with your experience of something. No. It's your experience. Now I'm taken in. Now I'm brought in. You know, now I understand something about you. And now maybe I can understand your opinion. Hmm. Now maybe I can find a way where I can concede some of my, maybe where I, my perceptions are maybe a little bit miskewed. Right. Right that's a little side story. I like it. No, I think it's great. And it, you know, it finishes what I was saying. Well, you know what? I think we're like, we're getting close to the end of this podcast. You want to wrap it up? Yeah. Yeah. I'm down for that. Do you have, um, anything particular that you're going to walk away with or any lessons to leave people with maybe? You know, we covered quite a bit of stuff. I don't even know what we're going to call this one. I don't know either. Um, it's it's been a wild ride. Yeah. There was no point where I was like, yeah, this is what we're discussing. I feel like we kind of, we kind of really very vaguely talked about the balance of artistry and industry. We did. And we talked about, um, you know, early talking about your, about your script and turning it into a play and the things that are revealed or not revealed, you know, things that are said or are left unsaid. Maybe it was um, something about crossing mediums cause we talked a little bit about how these things relate to many mediums. Yeah. Like, cause we talked about like, even like when I was talking about the play uh, or the movie being a play and it was like two different mediums of telling a story and how the parallels were. And then we went into music. We talked about those parallels and we talked like, 
I don't know. That's something that I'm kind of looking at and I'm going, yeah, there was a lot of, I found a lot of parallels between things. Yeah. You know, I mean, for me in terms of like everything we talked about, as far as what I've thought about, how can I bring this a little bit more into my life is it it might seem somewhat unrelated, but you know, this conversation made me want to take a look at my process as an artist. Like this really made, makes me want to take a look at how I go about going about my work, writing or acting, you know, what is it that I'm, how is it that I am going about this backwards, right? Like how, how am I going about this in a way that is not conducive to me creating my best work Mm. as far as, you know, speaking and creating with authenticity where I am letting my, um, my attachment to, to, to the outcome or the result of something impede my ability to create. Um, because I do still on, on a lot of levels rely so much on, you know, having structure and having the right answer for something in order to, to be comfortable and to embrace, you know, I think my thing takeaway from this is to embrace a greater sense of, of mystery, a greater sense of, of this could go anywhere, a possibility in my work and that I don't necessarily know. I don't necessarily know the best way to do this, mm. but I'll find out kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's for me. I don't know why, but that's kind of like the message that I've extracted for myself out of all of this. It's just like embrace a little bit more mystery, embrace a little bit more possibility. Don't try and control what you're doing so much. And when I think about in terms of what I've actually, what's actually been coming at me through my cr- stuff I've been creating these days, like with, with making music and stuff and the way I've been learning how to do that, um, or how I do that is it's been absolutely an exercise and just like, let it go, hmm. let it go. Ha- you have your direction. Like, you know, there's always some direction that I have. I don't start creating anything I have no direction with that's just that, that I do know. So now it's just to let go a little bit more, Hmm. let go and, and see what, what comes out as opposed to trying to see what I can make it into Hmm. or make it be. Hmm. Yeah. All right. I like that. Um, well, you know, walking away from this one, I think, uh, I don't know. Um, I think for me is like, uh, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I guess go, just go forward and not need to know the answers so much, you know, because like making this film and getting this thing off the ground, um, has been frightening because it's, it feels so rushed and it feels so immediate. And so like, I keep wanting to buy time, you know, and like, you know, in a certain way, I mean, if I knew that I was going to die like the day after the film was shot, for example, 
and that all I had was this time to get it done. And I, you know, and there's this part of me that's like, I do not want to die without making a proper feature film. Yeah. Um, even if I didn't get to edit it, but just knowing I got it shot, I would, I would do it. There would be no question. I would totally follow through. So there's this part of me that's just kind of like, stop trying to buy time in my life. Go day to day, be in the day, do everything you can in the day and let, cause all my fear is in the future. All my fear is like, Oh, we're going to run out of time. Oh, this isn't going to work out or mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And it's, I think it has a certain amount of like, okay, thank you. But like I'm moving on kind of quality to it. Like, mm-hmm. thank you for being here to help me keep some things in perspective. But I really like at this point in my life, don't want to be making decisions today based on fear. I want to, I'm really working at making decisions based on values. So I think what I will take from this is I'm going to go forward and every day just go like, what is the value I want to do today? And I don't necessarily control whether things will work out in the future or not. But right now I can do what I, what I really want to do right now, which is do the necessary things to make this film. And so, um, you know, I, I'm hopeful that it'll work out in time and that everything will go according to this extremely tight plan. But also at the same time, if it doesn't, it's not like I'm going to give up. I'm not going to walk away. I, I will figure out a new approach to whatever. I mean, my biggest fear right now is like, I need to do this because otherwise if I don't, I'll lose the location. And I keep thinking about like how I don't have enough time and I'll lose the location. If I lose the location, how am I going to make the film? And yeah. it's, it's a cycle, right? So like if we can't make it in time and we don't get to shoot in the location, then I will find a new location. And I know this sounds like when I say it out loud, it sounds so silly and stupid, but like a new location may cost me a lot more money. There may be a lot more headaches there. It may not be the location I want particularly, but I will deal with it. I've been on films before where we've lost our location and we've had to deal at the same time. This is an interesting time for me to see how much I can get done in a short period of time, Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of my setbacks in life have been of my own self-destruction of always making more time to give myself more buffer and more comfort. Yeah. And right now I'm uncomfortable. So I'm going to step forward into this uncomfort or discomfort, and I'm going to do what I value right now and do the best I can while I'm doing it and not worry so much about how things work out. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm going to do going forward from this. And our talk kind of helped me to see a little bit of like, that, you know, and, and I, you know, I have to eat my own words a little bit. I don't know. And I'm not in control. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah. Cool, man. Cool. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family, or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.